So we're in Judges, and last time we finished Judges 3, which brings us tonight to Judges 4. And for those people out in uh, streaming land and podcast land and any other lands, you're probably going to want to have a map as you listen to this. I've got a map projecting behind me on the screen, so I will refer to that map periodically, and a lot of this will make more sense if you have one. So... Judges 4. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. Ehud, of course, is the left-handed judge. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosah Hagoim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. So let's get organized on the land here. This is obviously the Sea of Galilee, just to orient you. And then just north is Hazor. Now, Hazor is a fortress city, but the thing that you should notice is you've got a major trade route that comes down out of Damascus through here and goes right through Hazor. And you've also got this Becca Valley that runs between these two mountain ridges, north and south. And again, Hazor sits where that dumps out. And again, this is all stuff you should have heard before, but I will say it again because I haven't said it in a while. The land of the Bible, which is the Mediterranean, over as far as India on one side and as far as Italy on the other side, you have a choke point, and a choke point is a place where it's difficult to move and where you have to move compact instead of spread out. So to the west of Israel, you have the Mediterranean Sea. To the east of Israel, you have the Great Arabian Desert. So you've got Europe and Asia to the north, and to the south, you've got Africa. So in order to move between Eurasia and Africa, At the time of most of the Bible, the only practical way to do that was through Israel. Once the Phoenicians develop blue water sailing and you get larger navies, it will become possible to move armies by ship. And it's always difficult to move an army over the desert. So what God did is God put his people in that choke point. And... Over the course of biblical history, and in fact, the world history, you have had empires going back and forth through that land. And the way I describe it is anybody who's ever had a bird dog, if you go bird hunting, when you get back, you have to get the birds out of your dog's fur because the dog collects birds. Well, empires collect Jews. Serious. So as these empires go north and south, what winds up is they pick up Hebrews. And you wind up having synagogues and Hebrews all over the Mediterranean basin, clear down to Africa and clear up to the Caspian Sea. The next thing that you have in this process is you have Alexander the Great conquered that whole region. So after Alexander's conquest, you could go anywhere in that region and speak Greek. It became the trade language, if you will, of that whole area. 
And then the next thing that happened, of course, when Rome displaced Greece, is you had Pax Romana, which means the Roman peace, and that means that you could travel safely anywhere in that region because Rome would protect you. The Romans didn't much care who you worshipped, as long as you didn't scare the horses. So Rome imposed peace on that region with an iron hand, which meant that travel was free now throughout the whole area. And that's where God put his Christ. So once all of that stuff was in place, God brought Christ, and what happened then is Christianity spread through that whole region like wildfire. And the whole region became essentially Christian after that. Then Islam came up 700 years later, and a lot of that area is now Muslim. But the point is, Israel has always been central to God's plan simply because of the way he arranged the geography. So as you're looking at this map, one of the things that you should notice, as I said, is you have these north-south trade routes that go through Hazor. So Hazor is always a fortified city. It's always an important city. And of course, the other big one is Beth Shan. And you'll notice Beth Shan down below the Sea of Galilee picks up the east-west trade routes coming out of Damascus. And again, Beth Shan is a fortress city. So you have Hazor and Beth Shan above and below the Sea of Galilee, and they are typically both major fortifications or are occupied by warlike people who want to protect the area from invasion. So that's sort of thing one. So anyway, Jabin the king is at Hazor. The other place is Herosef Hagoim, where Sisera is. Now Sisera is the commander of his army, and one of the things that Sisera has is 900 chariots. So now what I want you to do is look at the terrain. If you can see right in here, there is some mountainous terrain. There is a trail, if you will, or a route that goes here. Notice it sort of kinks right here. These are the Carmel Mountains, and the Carmel Mountains run northwest to southeast. And they link up with the Central Ridge Route, which comes up here. And this area here to the west of Beth Shan is the Jezreel Valley or the Plain of Esdraelon. And the thing that's important about that is it's chariot country. It is flat, it is wide, and a bunch of chariots can really get up ahead of steam. They move faster than infantry does, and of course they have shock power, which we talked about earlier. The other piece of key terrain is the pass at Megiddo. And the pass at Megiddo is the only north-south connection between the plain of Jezreel and the coastal plain. So anybody who is a military power that depends on chariots and horses if they're going to communicate between the Jezreel Valley, which is chariot country, and the coastal plain, which is also chariot country, they have to go through Megiddo. And there's always a fortress at Megiddo to control that pass. In, in fact, of course, you all know this, but when we get to the Battle of Armageddon, 
What that is is Har Megiddo, the mountain of Megiddo. In other words, there have always been battles around that pass as empires try and move armies north and south, that's where you have to go through. Now, there are hills that run from the Carmel Mountains up toward Hazor, and Heroseth Hagoim is right there, which is where there's a gap in those hills. You've also got the Kishon Brook that runs along here, and it goes basically out to the Mediterranean Sea, and the, and the Kishon Brook will become important in our story as we go forward. So, Heroseth Hagoim is therefore in that point of hills between the Carmel Mountains and the hills on the north where you have this cut, if you will, through there where the Brook Kishon goes and which is also a major trade route. That's where Jabin has garrisoned his army and chariots. In other words, that's where he parks his tanks, you know, the horses and chariots, and he's got a garrison there. And his commander, uh, Sisera, is there also. A garrison town, if you will, that has got the 600 chariots and however many men are associated with that. So, the deal, like everything else in Judges, is the children of Israel desert God, fall into apostasy, God sends them Canaanites, Canaanites oppress them, Israelites cry to the Lord, and the Lord is going to raise up Deborah to deliver them this time. Verse 4, Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. The fact that she is a prophetess is important here. She is not just a judge. The deal about a prophet, of course, is a prophet has a connection to God. In other words, you can have a judge who is simply a wise person who is able to differentiate things and and decide things according to the law and so forth. And that's one function. Being a prophet is another function, and that becomes important here. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. So here are the 12 tribes, and you have Ephraim down here, and she hangs out right in there. So she used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Nephthali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go gather your men in Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Nephthali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon, with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. So you have the tribes up here. Up north is Kadesh. There's Naphtali. And the other thing that is going to be important is the waters of Merom, which is there. So these are northern tribes because the problem is a northern problem. So what he's going to do is rally the northern tribes. The deal here is here is Mount Tabor. And that's obviously a little pimple right in the 
northern edge of the Jezreel Valley. And here is Morom up here next to Lake Hula. So what Deborah is saying is get troops from Naphtali and Zebulun and they'll gather here at Mount Morom and then they'll come down here to Mount Tabor. And the thing about Mount Tabor is Mount Tabor is this little hill and it's not amenable to running chariots up. So what's going to happen is he's going to gather his infantry, which is what Israel is. They don't have 900 chariots. And he's going to gather them and he's going to park them on top of Mount Tabor. Barak is going to come down off of Mount Tabor and attack Sisera on the plain of Megiddo. Sisera, he's armored chariots, and chariots don't work well flouncing around mountains. So the infantry up on top is somewhat immune from the chariots. But once they get down on the plain, that's where the chariots have the advantage, and the infantry is at a disadvantage. So I am down to verse 8. So Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Remember, she's a prophetess. So she is his connection to God. So the deal is 10,000 infantry against 900 chariots may be a fair fight, but he really wants to have a radio operator with him who can talk to God on his behalf. So he says, cool, happy to do it, but you need to come with me. And parenthesis, it doesn't say in scripture. The reason she needs to go with him is because she is the prophetess and she's the one that has the connection to God. Doesn't say that in scripture, but that's what's going on. Verse 9, And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kedesh, and Barak called out Zebulun Nathali to Kedesh, and 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak of Zaanaim, which is near Kadesh. And Kadesh again is up here. So we've got our cast of characters now. We've got Javan, we've got Sisera, we've got Barak, we've got Deborah, and the Kenite, of course, is going to be our source for Yael, who's going to be the gal that is going to dispatch Sisera. So that's why Heber the Kenite shows up in here. So verse 12, when Sisera was told that Barak the son of Abinoam had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Harasath Hagoyim to the river Kishon. When it says here from Harosith Hagoyim to the river Kishon, Harosith Hagoyim and the river Kishon are very close to each other. So I am assuming, this is a guess on my part, that he's calling them from the fortress to assemble by the river. So Harosith Hagoyim is basically right there. And you have the brook Kishon. You see that little blue line that goes out to the Mediterranean Sea. And of course you've got this... uh, trading route that goes through there too. But the point is, this is a flat space 
between Carmel and this rise of hills. So Herosif Hagoyim, as I said, is a garrison town that is designed both to guard that trade route and it also positions Sisera where he can either go out to the plain of Estrelon, the Jezreel Valley, or he can hook to the right and go through Megiddo and go down to the coastal plain. So 12 again. When Sisera was told that Barak the son of Abinoam had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him, from Herosef Hagoim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. So he's been loggered up on top of Mount Tabor where he's reasonably safe from chariots and he comes down off the mountain and goes after Sisera's army. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Horos of Hagoyim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword, not a man was left. Now, in order to understand all this, you actually need to go fast forward to Judges 5-4, which is the Song of Deborah. And what Deborah is doing is giving a post-operation briefing on what happened. So in verse 4, Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. So what she is saying is, is during this battle, God whistled up a rainstorm. And what the rainstorm did was bog the chariots down. That's why Sisera dismounts and runs, because his chariot is stuck in the mud. Everybody's saying, oh, we were all wondering why he came down off the mountain to fight chariots in the plain, which is a great question. And the answer to that is God rained and the chariots bogged down in the mud. So there's a rainstorm, and one of the things that happens is the Kishon River is going to flood, and you're going to have dead horsemen flushed out into the Mediterranean. We'll see that in a minute. The deal here is this is sort of a mini replay of the Red Sea. Sisera is the commander of the army. He's a chariot guy. This is what he does for a living. Your question has got to be, well, wait a minute. How come he tops down off of his chariot and runs as opposed to kicking his horse in the tail and really running? And the answer to that is his chariot stuck in the mud. So he has to dismount and run, because that's his only option. So now down to verse 17. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Yael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Yaban, the king of Hazor, and the house of Abra the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say no. 
But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand, and she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness, and so he died. I've got no idea what's going on. First off, it starts that there's peace between Jabin and the Kenites. Yet this babe has got something going on, and I don't know what. I truly do not know what the situation is here. But she lures him basically into her tent, promises him safety, and then while he's asleep, whacks him. I got no idea. Comment was, it says back in verse 9, that God will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Yeah, that's true. And, and this is, of course, how that works out. But I have no idea what is going on that would cause her to do that. Because on the one hand, she says, come in, you'll be safe here. I'll cover you up and I'll keep you safe. And then as soon as he falls asleep, and it's natural that he would be exhausted. I mean, he's just been through a battle and he's just run up there. And not only that, he's not any young buck. He's probably a senior commander, which means that he's probably in his 40s or 50s. I have no idea what the backstory on that is. Verse 22, And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Yael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So she knows what's going on. She knows about the battle, all that kind of stuff. So he went with her to the tent, and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. So on that day God subdued Jabin the king of Canaan before the people of Israel, and the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin the king of Canaan until they destroyed Jabin the king of Canaan. So as a result of the battle, they were delivered. The next thing, of course, we're going to have is the Song of Deborah. And this very much mirrors the Song of the Sea. When Israel comes up out of the Red Sea, and as I was saying earlier, the situation very much mirrors the Red Sea. So you've got Egyptian chariots on the one hand, Canaanite chariots on this hand, you've got the chariots getting bogged down in the mud. As we'll see, the brook Kishon goes into flood because of the rain, and you have people washed out to sea, much like you had in the Red Sea. There's a whole bunch of parallels here between this and uh, the Song of the Sea in Exodus. Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinom, on that day, that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly. Bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. To the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dripped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. We fast-forwarded that when we were doing the tactical stuff, and that's how you know that there was a rainstorm in the valley that day, and the chariots bogged down. Verse 6. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, and in the days of Yael, the highways were abandoned, and travelers kept to the byways. Remember when we read Shamgar, who was an earlier judge, this is the other reference to him, and during that time, even though he was a judge of Israel, it was not safe to travel on major roads. 
any number of reasons why that could have been the case, as we said last time, could have been bandits. In other words, the Israelites were not strong enough to maintain peace and keep bandits subdued. That's one possibility. The other possibility is that Canaanites were demanding tribute of everybody that traveled. And so what people did is instead of traveling on the main roads, they traveled on the little side trails and paths. Well, that's what the byways mean. Instead of the main road where you would expect to travel, you travel on these little side paths. Now, why is that a problem? They're not as efficient. The reason that the main trails are there is because that's the most efficient terrain to put them on. So you have cities that grow up along the main trade routes and stuff. So if you've got to be off in the bushes going down goat paths, when you really want to be moving a wagon full of grain to the town, that means that commerce becomes way inefficient. So it becomes a net economic drain on Israel because they can't do what normally you would do. You ever looked at an aerial map of cattle trails? And you'll notice that they always follow contours. You can see the contour levels on a mountain by looking at the cattle trail. Cattle don't like to go up or down. They like to go horizontally. So the cattle trails that get worn on hills and so forth are the most efficient way to get from wherever the cow was to wherever he wants to go. The fact that in order to get your produce to market or any of those kinds of things, you've got to get to a less efficient way, it's an economic drain. Cost in transportation, cost in labor to move stuff. You may have to move stuff in backpacks instead of moving it by cart. Just all sorts of stuff. So that's why that's important. Verse 7. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. When new gods were chosen, when war was, at, was in the gates, was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. One of the things that she is talking about here is Israel for 20 years was under Canaanite domination, which means that Israel wasn't fighting the Canaanites. What happened is when she became judge, she got Barak, and they got an army together, and they went after the Canaanites. That's what's being said here. Verse 10. Tell of it, you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, you who walk by the way. Not quite sure what's going on, but white donkeys, rich carpets, and walking by the way. Obviously, white donkeys and rich carpets are wealthy people. And remember, we have a problem earlier. The villagers ceased in Israel. What I am guessing, and this is entirely a guess, is that the elites, the wealthy people, were able to travel on the efficient roads because they were able to pay whatever it took not to be interfered with. Whereas the villagers would have to go by the goat tracks. That's what I'm guessing that means. So 10 and 11 again. Tell of it, you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, and you who walk by the way, to the sound of musicians at the watering places, 
There they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord, the righteous triumphs of his villagers in Israel. The thing that throws me off about this is the first lines, verse 10 and the first line of verse 11, sounds like rich folks traveling in caravans, sitting around in oases with them. They've got their own entertainment with them. You know, they got their iPads and all that kind of stuff, and they're being entertained. But then it says they repeat the righteous triumphs of Israel, so this may be after roads had become safe. I'm just not sure. Comment was she heard of it as minstrels or wandering poets whose job was to go from place to place and tell of these stories. Yeah, could be. I had not thought of that. That's a good observation. Then down to the gates marched the people of the Lord. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, break out in a song. Arise, Barak, lead away your captives, O son of Abinoam. Then down marched the remnant of the noble. The people of the Lord marched down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim, their root, they marched down to the valley. Following you, Benjamin and your kinsmen. From Akir, marched down the commanders. And from Zebulun, those who bear the lieutenant's staff. The princes of Issachar came with Deborah. And Issachar, faithful to Barak, into the valley they rushed at his heels. Among the clans of Reuben, there was great searching of heart. Now we're going to switch to trash talk. Now she's going to call out those who did not participate. So we got a little trash talk going here. Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searching of heart. Why did you sit still among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks? Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he stay with the ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. Zebulun is a people who risked their lives to the death. Naphtali, too, in the heights of the field. So, as I say, she's trash-talking those who didn't join the fray. Verse 19. The kings came, they fought. Then fought the kings of Canaan. At Tanakh, by the waters of Megiddo. Remember where I showed you Megiddo was? By the waters of Megiddo would be the Kishon. They got no spoils of silver. From heaven the stars fought. From their courses they fought against Sisera. The torrent Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon, march on my soul with might. So the idea is there was a flash flood in the valley of Jezreel. And in addition to bogging down the chariots, it also swept away a bunch of folks that were trying to cross the river. Verse 22. Then loud beat the horse's hooves with the galloping, galloping of his steeds. Curse Moroz. I have no idea who Moroz is. Curse Moroz, says the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants thoroughly, because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of women be Yael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women most blessed. He asked for water. She gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She set her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera, she crushed his head, she shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he sank, he fell, he lay still. Between her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. Out of the window she peered, the mother of Sisera, wailed through the lattice. 
Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots? Her wisest princesses answer. Indeed, she answers herself. Have they not found and divided the spoil? A womb or two for every man. Spoil of dyed materials for Sisera. Spoil of dyed materials embroidered. Two pieces of dyed work embroidered for the neck as spoil. So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. And the land had rest for 40 years. Et ta